Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses that are joining us right now, South Shore, Gulf Coast, online, all of the jails, and here at Little Creek as well to this second, actually third installment of our series called You Asked For It. Come on, let's just welcome all those that are joining us live right now. So excited to have you guys. Hey, this is a short series. Uh, it's just three weeks long. And so what is this series about? If you're a guest here, I want to say it's a little bit of a different series. I do want to mention all of our campuses. Uh, you do not want to miss next week. Every August, first week of August, I start a new series. This year, it's called Overwhelmed. Every single one of us are in situations in our lives where we feel overwhelmed. We don't know what to do. Uh, next week is the message for you this whole month of August. But today, I want to finish up answering some questions that you guys asked me. Week one, uh, three weeks ago, you asked me this question, how do I overcome depression? So I did a message, uh, how to overcome depression. By the way, I do want to say this about that message. Uh, this is not hyperbole. I'm not just exaggerating to make a point here. I got more feedback on that message uh, than I've probably ever received people that are struggling with depression. And so we encourage you guys, again, we touch a little bit on suicide uh, and that as well. Uh, you can go online and download uh, that message, any of the messages. Last week, I talked about the Bible. I talked about, uh, is the Bible relevant for us in the 21st century? Pastor, I mean, after all, the Bible's written a long time ago. I mean, can we still apply this book to our lives today? Talked a lot about the Bible. Talked about why I believe not only it's reliable, but also it is relevant. All right, today, I'm gonna do my best to answer a bunch of questions that you guys had about the end times. And uh, you had a whole bunch about, you know, when is Jesus coming back? And so I wanna just say something to all of our guests that are here. This is a non-typical uh, message in the sense, actually the last two, uh, this is a thinking message. Uh, it's fairly uh, educational, let me say it that way. It's a little bit different than the norm around here at Church King because I'm answering questions that you guys have asked me. Uh, this is not a message to fall asleep in. If somebody next to you falls asleep, you have permission to lovingly elbow them. Or an usher will do that for you. And uh, now I'm just playing. But this is a message. We've got to use our thoughts. We've got to really think through this. A lot of information. I want to answer this question. What do I need to know about the end times? And I want to say this kind of as a, uh, an admission here. I, I did not do, church is 19 years old, Church of the King. I'm 49. It started at 30. I, I, we started the church. We were part of a team that started the church. I did not do for the first 14 years any teaching to my recollection on the end times. Five years ago, uh, I went for it. I taught through the book of Daniel. How, how many of y'all were part of the church five years ago when I taught the book of Daniel? It was on a weekend service. It wasn't like a Monday night class with 30 hungry souls. I mean, it was just right on the weekend, thousands of people, and I did my best. Six weeks, taught through the book of Daniel, which had both the historical context, but also there was what's called prophetic dimension, end time dimensions to it. Uh, three years ago, for seven weeks, I tackled the book. That's probably given more, oh, I don't know, it's deep consternation for Bible preachers. You know, the book of Revelation. How does this fit? What's symbolic? What's not? Uh, how many of y'all remember the book of Revelation when I taught through that? You guys remember that? Okay, by the way, I think last year 
We had 10,000 downloads on that series alone. And so I want to encourage you. It's seven weeks long. If you're going to work, going back and forth, I dealt with as much as I could in seven weeks on a weekend. Uh, so it's close to seven hours, probably six hours of teaching on that. Last year, I did First Thessalonians, uh, which has themes on the end times as well. So why am I saying that? I'm boiling all of that down. I'm answering four primary questions that you guys asked. Four primary questions that you guys asked, all right? So by doing that, I want to bring out my chart, my famous chart. I got so many good compliments about this chart last time. Matter of fact, last night at our Saturday service, I had people, Pastor, thank you for the chart. Now, a couple comments about my chart. If you're my age, you can't see this. <laughs> this is done by 22-year-olds in our graphics department, okay? So that's why we put it in your bulletin. So the chart, the famous chart, it's in your bulletin. But So I'll, I'll just point for the 20 and 30-somethings, and so because you guys can see some of this, but... Uh, I want to talk just a little bit about two minutes. I'm going to talk about some events on the chart. Then I'm going to go to the questions, four questions you guys asked, and I'm going to answer them. What do I believe uh, out of the questions you asked are four essential things that you need to know about the end times? Okay, here we go. Let me just go over this, and I taught everyone in Revelation, Daniel, and First, uh, First Thessalonians, I used this chart. Here we go. We live right here in what's called the church age. Acts chapter 2 Holy Spirit was poured out, right? The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. They went and preached the gospel, the apostles. It was awesome. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That began what we call, or what theologians would call, the church age. So it's been going on over 2,000 years. All right, book of Acts. The next event on the horizon that's going to be important is what I'm going to talk about today is the rapture. Everybody say it, say it, the what? The rapture. What is the rapture? The rapture is a, an event that'll take place when Christians are taken out, they're raptured. The Bible actually says this, that Jesus comes, meets us in the clouds, hang on for all the newcomers. This is in the Bible, all right? It's maybe like, Pastor, what are we talking about? Just stay with me. And the church is raptured out of that. It's not unprecedented. Enoch walked with God and was raptured. Elijah walked with God and he was raptured. Jesus walked with God the Father and on the Mount of Olives he was raptured. So there's other people that were taken up. Well, the whole church, the body of Christ, we are, quote, taken up, those that are alive with Christ and raptured to meet the Lord, the Bible says, in the air, in the clouds. Okay, after that, it begins what's called a seven-year tribulation. Some refer to it as the Great Tribulation. Again, I'm going to talk in just a moment about what we're doing in heaven during that seven years. Then Christ comes back and returns all the way to earth. Here he comes to the clouds, here to the earth. And it begins what I call, or what the Bible calls a, a, the millennial reign of Christ. A millennium is a thousand years. It's a literal, I believe in a literal thousand year reign of Christ on the earth in Jerusalem. The Bible teaches that. Then what's called the great white throne judgment. And then a new earth comes, new heavens, new earth. John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos, sees the new heavens and the new earth coming down. I know it's a lot, particularly for new Christians or people that are checking out Christianity. I mean, again, once a year I do a teaching like this. So this is important. Stay with me. Now what I want to do is answer the four questions you guys asked. Number one, based upon this, four questions about the end times that you would be asked maybe at work. Maybe family or friends would ask you something like that. I want to equip you with that. Number one, here's the first question. How does the day of the Lord relate to the end times and to us today? How does the day 
of the Lord relate to the end times and us today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Here we go. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. What is Thessalonica? By the way, it's a city today, still, Thessalonica. And it's a city, it's interesting, there was a rumor in the first century that these early Christians had missed the coming of Christ. And because of that, Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonican believers and says, hey, 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 time out. You did not miss the return of Christ. There are some things that are going to happen, some events that are going to happen prior to the return of Christ. Don't freak out. Let me tell you what's going to happen before Christ comes again. This letter was written about 20, 25 years after the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, all right? First century church. So these words are applied to us today. We are living between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. That's where we are today, all right? So here's what Paul says. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, second coming, and our gathering together with him, rapture, we ask you, next verse, not to be soon shaken. Don't freak out, guys. You didn't miss it. Don't be troubled by spirit or word. If people are telling you you missed it, you didn't. I'm going to give you some events that are going to happen prior to the return of Christ. You didn't miss it, all right? Here's what he says, as if from us, as though Watch this, as though the day of what? Say it, Christ had come. Some of your Bible says the day of the Lord has come. So here's what Paul says, don't freak out. You didn't miss it. I want to talk to you about this. Now, I want everybody to hear me, all of our campuses, South Shore, Gulf Coast, all those that are joining us, Facebook Live or online, very important. I want to ask you questions to help you define what, this, what I believe this is talking about. A day. How many hours are in a day? How many say it? 24. So there's in one day, 24 hours. Okay, second question. Is there a daytime and a nighttime in a day? The answer is what? Yes. Do we call it a night or do we call it a day? We call it a day. So in a day, there's actually daytime, but in a day, there's also what? Say it. We don't call it a night. Hey, man, in three nights, it's going to happen. No, we say in three what? Say it, days. So in a day, there is daytime, and in a day, there is nighttime. Let's go back to the chart just for a moment. We are currently living in what I would call, and what I believe the Bible teaches, the daytime of the day of the Lord. We are living right now what's called the age of the church or the age of grace. In other words, people can get saved today. People can give their hearts to Christ. and They can be forgiven of their sins. Isn't it powerful that regardless of whatever sin we've ever committed, the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to wash us, cleanse us, and give us a new beginning? How many of y'all grateful for the blood of Christ? Isn't that powerful? Okay. That's the day in which we live right now. We live in the, in the day of grace where the gospel is freely preached, man. I remember 30 years ago when I was a freshman at Tulane University. I'm in that Bible study, and, and somebody shared Christ, and, and I was born again. My heart was transformed. That's an, that's an awesome opportunity. So we have, the, uh, we have the responsibility right now. You and I have the responsibility to tell people the door is open. Whosoever will, come. 
Christ saves, Christ redeems, Christ heals. Christ can restore your life, your broken dreams, your broken marriage. God can do that. We live right here in this daytime of the day of the Lord. However, in a day, there's also daytime and what? Say it. When is the nighttime dimension coming, Pastor? At the rapture. So when the rapture happens, we transition from the daytime of the day of the Lord into the nighttime dimension. This is when darkness covers the earth and the earth enters into what the Bible teaches, the great tribulation. Okay, does that make sense? By the way, I, uh, I remember when I gave my heart to Christ 30 years ago. Again, I was 19, right at 19 years old. I was a freshman in college and a bunch of college kids. And, and we, we went to this church. And we were at this church. And I'll never forget seeing this movie. And the movie was called The Thief in the Night. How many of y'all remember The Thief in the Night? Anybody that was a Christian back then? You're dating yourself. Come on now. You're aging. Here it is. 30 years ago. And let me tell you the concept of The Thief in the Night. It was a movie about the rapture. Now, listen to me closely. I want to say a couple things that are important. I mean, you watch it, and you're like, you miss the rapture, and you're running around, and you're panicking, and everybody's there. I mean, it's scary. And I say this respectfully. I know we're in church. I'm not cursing. This word's in the Bible. That movie scares the hell. It's in the Bible. Out of you. Are y'all with me? It's like, ah, I'm going to miss it. Ah. Now, here's what I found out. Fear never brings anybody into the kingdom of God. It doesn't. Love draws, fear drives. You may get somebody to make it just an initial emotional response, but fear doesn't keep anybody. It doesn't. Relationship does. So I don't ever as a church, there is a coming judgment. Matter of fact, the Bible says in John 16, 8, Holy Spirit comes to convince the world of righteousness, of sin, righteousness, and there's a judgment to come. Here's the point. The reason why it's important for us as the church to know there's a judgment to come is Preaching judgment to the world doesn't motivate them to serve Christ. Preaching judgment to us motivates us to go lead others to Christ. We know that the end is coming, but the world doesn't get saved by hearing that message. We get motivated by hearing it. Are y'all with me? We get busy to pray for our neighbors and to pray for our loved ones. It's like, hey, hey, there's not always the day. Today is a day of grace. It's the age of grace, the love of God, the Holy Spirit. But there's coming a day of darkness. That motivates not the world. That motivates the believer to get busy. All right? So first question, what is the day of the Lord? How does it relate to the end times? We are living in the daytime dimension of the day of the Lord, but the nighttime is coming. We need to get busy. Number two, second question. You guys ask a lot of questions about this every time. Every time I preach about or, or, or do some sort of a series where I give people an opportunity about the end times, they ask this question. What happens, pastor, to believers at the rapture? What happens to believers at the rapture? I want to make a statement. Death does not have its final say in the life of a believer. Death, physical death, does not have its final say. I want you to go ahead and bring that chart up if you can. Again, I want to explain. So here's the deal about the rapture. I need everybody to hear me at all the campuses. Man, this is so important. Every Christian, if you believe the Bible, every Christian believes that Jesus is coming back a second time. That's important. Every single one of them. Jesus preached it, Paul preached it, Peter preached it. I mean, it's all through the Bible. 
that Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. He's com- he came one time 2,000 years ago, and he's coming again. He's coming again, all right? So all but some Christians, though, some Christians believe, and this is important, and some of you guys, if you were brought up in some uh, denomination, some of you may believe that there's actually not a rapture, but that the church goes through the tribulation, and at the end, we finally make it, those that make it, and then the Christ comes. I don't believe that. I believe what the Bible teaches about a rapture. I believe in what's called pre-trib. Everybody say pre-trib. And everybody say pre-wrath. I believe that the church is raptured out of the earth before the great tribulation and before the wrath of God is poured out. Now, I've had people say this before, Pastor, that's convenient. We live in the Western world where there's not a lot of persecution. But what if you live in Somalia? What if you live in some of those Middle Eastern countries? Here's what I would say. Don't confuse. There's a big difference between the judgment of God and the judgment of man. People that are being killed for Christ today are falling under the judgment of man, not the judgment of God. This is a totally different category right here. And I believe in what's called a rapture. I believe the Bible teaches that. What happens at the rapture? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Here we go. But I do not want you to be ignorant. Paul's writing. Remember, they, they thought they'd missed it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So I'm going back and forth between 1 and 2 Thessalonians. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. In other words, if you can bring the chart back up, in other words, here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, when Christ returns to the earth, remember, he doesn't come all the way to the earth, but he comes in the cloud, there's a trumpet, to catch up. The word is actually catching up. Where we get the word rapture from is a Latin word, rapturo. It's to, it's to, it's to catch up, to catch away. So the, just like Enoch was caught away, just like Elijah was caught away, just like Jesus was. Watch this. So the church comes, but when Christ comes back, At this moment, guess who he brings? He brings believers in Jesus that died in the past. A mom or a dad that were Christians. Okay, so he brings them. Why is he bringing them with them? Very important. When he brings them, when the rapture happens, the Bible says that their bodies, this is really intense, Their bodies are resurrected and they're actually joined and Christians that died previous to the rapture are joined and they receive their new resurrected bodies. Isn't that interesting? What about Christians that are alive when the rapture happens? We receive our resurrected bodies as we go up. Pastor, whoa, this is heavy. Now remember, I know this is an educational message. If you want to cry, come back next week. We'll do all the emotional stuff. It'll be great. But here's the point. I'm just playing. Not really. But the point is, is this. (laughs) The point is, is this. Do you know there's only one person in heaven right now with a resurrected body? Who is that? Jesus. I know he's got a resurrected body. Remember, after the resurrection, he ascended to the Father. Why is it important that we have resurrected bodies? Because we're coming back to earth, but a new earth. That's what John saw in the book of Revelation. Wow, this is like cosmic. Well, it's in the Bible, all this stuff. So what happens at the rapture? Let me give you three things. Number one, 
the chart up, please? Number one, we, 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 we get resurrected bodies. The dead in Christ come first. Yes, we will know loved ones. Yes, we will recognize. Absolutely. Number two, stay with me. The first thing that happens, and I believe in a literal seven-year tribulation, by the way, the first thing that happens for believers is we stand before the Lord in what's called the judgment seat of Christ. By the way, believers are not judged whether or not we make it into heaven at the judgment seat of Christ. We make it to heaven based upon our faith in Christ. So that was determined based upon trusting Christ as our Savior. Then what is the judgment seat of Christ about? The judgment seat of Christ is all about what we did for the Lord while we lived on the earth and the rewards that we get throughout eternity and what our assignment is for eternity. Well, pastor, that's not fair. You're a pastor. And, and you're preaching every week. It seems like you're going to get a lot more. No, 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 no. What if I was unfaithful and I didn't fully do what God called me to do? Listen, if you are a teacher and God called you to be a teacher and you've been a faithful teacher and a faithful witness where you can be, you get the same reward as Billy Graham if Billy Graham did what God called him to do. Are you all with me? How many of y'all grateful that God is, God is fair and just in this? All right, that's very important. Your judge based upon your faithfulness to your assignment. All right? So first thing we enter into is the judgment seat of Christ. Again, it's not about being rejected out of heaven. No. The next thing that happens to a believer after the rapture is we enter into, this is interesting, the marriage supper of the who? The lamb. Okay. Pastor, this is really interesting. There's actually six words for the church in the New Testament. The body of Christ. The temple of God. The house of God. All right. One of the words that we are called, you and I are called, is the bride of Christ. One of the terms that Jesus is called is the what? The groom. Sound familiar? What is happening here is the groom is coming for his bride, us, the church, and we enter into a seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be an incredible party. Here's the best thing about it. For all of the families that have daughters, we don't pay for the wedding. Come on, how many of y'all excited about it? Is that powerful? Can I get a witness in the house? Praise God. But anyway, so, so a lot of people have asked me questions about that. And so here's what's happening at the rapture. Let me do it again. We get resurrected bodies. Christ has not come all the way back to earth. He comes to the clouds. We hear a trumpet. We then go before the judgment seat of Christ. We get rewards. And then we enter into a seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb. There is a much different scene happening on the earth. Question three. What happens, Pastor Steve, during the tribulation? Remember, I'm answering your questions. What happens during the tribulation? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 6. Here we go. Paul's writing, remember... They thought they missed it, but they didn't miss it because he said, there's some things that are going to happen. By the way, we're living in these things. You're going to see it in just a moment. Prior to Christ coming back to Rapture's church, prior from the day turning to night, prior to that transition, there's some things that are going to happen right immediately to that, immediately previous to that, and then right as that actually happens and then through the tribulation. Here's what Paul says. Be watching for this. this, is what he says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 6. 
Let no one deceive you by any means for the day. What day? That day. The day of the Lord. What part of the day of the Lord? The nighttime. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin, number one, the falling away comes first. Number two, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he actually sits as God in the temple of God. Whoa, this is heavy. Showing himself that he is God. This guy declares himself to be God. Verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining. So something is restraining all of this from happening, that, may, that he may be revealed in his own time. So let's talk about, I want to talk about three things that Paul says are going to happen right immediately before the rapture and right after the rapture. These are all, hap, these hap, they've not happened yet. I believe we're actually entering into one. Here it is, number one. And by the way, let me just say this. Christ could come back today and I'm ready. How many are ready if Jesus comes back today? Okay, but let me tell you something. But it could be 100 years. It could be 200 years, 1,000 years. I, I don't know. I will say towards the end of the message here in about five or six minutes, when we look at the nation of Israel, there's lots of stuff happening that's really interesting. Really interesting. Let's talk about the three things that Paul says that will happen immediately previous to this. Number one... Paul says, this day has not happened until the falling away comes first. What is that? The falling away comes first. What's interesting, what's interesting is the word falling away is, is actually the word apostasia. It's where we get the word apostasy from. Apistas. Pistas is a Greek word for faith, to believe. If you're apolitical, it means you're disconnected from the political system, right? If you're apistas, you're disconnected from faith. Apostasy. That's what that means. So the word falling away actually means apostasy. Let me give you a definition for it. Here it is. It's a defection from the truth. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? So Paul says, before the return of Christ, here's what Paul says. He says, right before the rapture, there's going to be a defection from the truth. In other words, listen to me closely. I'm just going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to say some statements kind of rhetorical statements to get you to think a little bit. I'm going to present something. Just think about what I'm about to say. Just think about it, all right? Paul says there's coming a day where people are going to, de to defect from the truth. In other words, there's going to be a culture that will be marked by an, where truth is absent. In other words, in other words, where, where, where people no longer define reality by objective truth, but rather by subjective feelings. In other words, in other words here, here's what Paul says. Here's what Paul says. He says, there's coming a time when, when that which used to be right will be deemed wrong. And that which used to be deemed wrong will be deemed right. And if you deem something wrong that people now say is right, you become wrong. But it's not based upon objective reality. It's based upon one's own subjective existential interpretation of reality because everybody's defining reality according to how they feel. Not according to what's true. Not according to any objective truth. It's just according to what you feel and, and what your hunches are and what your, and what your body is telling you. And, and it's, but it's not. But so, so, so in other words, Paul says there's going to be a defection from the truth. That's what Paul says. 
Number two. Second thing he says is this. There's going to come a guy. People have asked this, Pastor, is the Antichrist a person or is it a spirit? It's both. Paul says this, verse 4. Actually, yeah, verse 4, he says, he, he, let me say this about the Antichrist. Antichrist. The Antichrist emerges. The Bible calls him the son of perdition. He, 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 he opposes Christ. To be anti-something means that you're against. Antithetical, against thesis. Antithetical, so I'm against it. I'm anti-Christ. Isn't it interesting? Guys, I'm just throwing some thoughts out, all right? Isn't it interesting? You can say God anything you want in our culture today, can't you? God this. Everybody's God, right? I mean, I'm not a God. You're not a God. But people say, you're God. I'm God. We're all gods. Hinduism, God's 490 million gods. Everybody's God. And no problem. You can say God. Anybody can say God. But all of a sudden, if you say Jesus, wait, don't judge me. Jesus why can I say God but not Jesus? What, 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 why, why are you so nervous about the word Jesus? I'll tell you why. It's an antichrist spirit. That's what it is. Antichrist. Let's think about the derivation of the word. Everybody say antichrist against Jesus. Does this make sense? So think about that just for a So there's a guy that will be born. I don't know if he's alive today. I have no idea. But at some point in time, there's a guy that's going to emerge that's going to be the Antichrist, the personification of evil. It will be a human being anointed by the devil, all right? Who? it's this heavy. I know for lost people, like, Pastor, this is a lot. Just stick with me. Again, this next week will be different, but this is important. I'm answering these questions. Let me give you the, 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 the third thing that happens. This guy, pull the chart back up if you can. This is interesting. This is really interesting stuff here. Here's what the Antichrist does. So, I want you to think about the 7 billion people on the earth. Isn't that right, about 7 billion? More or less? All right, I don't know how many true Christians are on the earth. I have no idea. I think they say there's 2.5 million people that would check the box and say Christian. How many are really Christian? I don't know. Only God does. I have no, I, I have no idea. Let's just say a billion. All right, so what is that? One billion, so what is that? 17%? I, I have no, okay, so, so, so there's coming an event at some point in time when 17% of the pop, if there's really a billion people that are true born-again Christians, are going to vanish from the earth. Can you imagine what's going to happen in culture? Can you imagine if you miss it and you're on an airplane? I bet you're praying, even though you don't believe in prayer, for the person that's driving doesn't go up and rapture or not. You know. <laughs> even though I don't believe in prayer, I'm praying to you, God, that that person is not going up. Are, are y'all with me? You've heard that, right? There's no atheists in foxholes. I mean, that's a prayer right there. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. So, so I want you to think about this. There's cataclysmic global confusion that hits the earth. And all of a sudden, there's this person that emerges that's a peace broker. The Bible actually calls the Antichrist the man of peace at first. He's a diplomat. There's nothing wrong with having skills of diplomacy. There's nothing wrong. We have political leaders in our church do a good job. Nothing wrong with that. But this person is a barter. He's a broker of peace because he comes to be able to bring. There's such confusion that hits the earth when this happens. So for the first three and a half years, 42 months, seven years is 84 months. Seven times four, 84, right? Seven, seven, 84, excuse me, 84 months, seven years. 42 months, three and a half years, all right? Watch this. The first three and a half years, he's a man of peace. He's a negotiator pulling the world together. Peace. It's okay. Hey, we'll figure it out. 
We don't know where those people went, but there was a, and there'll be extreme conspiracy theories of what happened. All right, now watch what happens. Watch what happens. But at the three and a half year mark, this is all in the Bible. I taught about it in the book of Revelation. I taught about it in the book of Daniel. All this. Revelation 9, 27. Uh, Daniel 9, 27. 11, 36 to 39. 2 Thessalonians 2. Matthew 2. All this stuff. This, at three and a half mark, something happens. The Bible says the Antichrist actually goes into the temple in Jerusalem. And he walks into the temple and he sits down on the throne and he declares himself to be God. That's called, in the Bible, the abomination of desolation. He desecrates the temple. He declares himself God. When that happens, the mask comes off and the world realizes that he's been deceived, that, we've, that they've been deceived. And all, it gets really rough for the next three and a half years. Okay, why is that important? Let's talk about this just for a moment. So about Israel. People ask me questions about Israel all the time. I'm going to give you about three or four minutes of Israel. I'm done, almost done. Stay with me. How many temples have there been in Israel? Let me give you a quick 30-second class. Here it is. Stay with me. Number one, 1,000 B.C., Solomon's temple, first temple in Jerusalem. Don't miss this. This is going to make sense. 500 years afterwards, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm giving you some rough dates, destroys the temple. People come in, Babylonian Empire, Persian, all that stuff. Let's bring the Jewish people away, all right? 70 years afterwards, Jewish people come back, a little bit around 500 B.C., they build the second temple, Zerubbabel, Nehemiah builds the walls. They've got a second temple. Here's the second temple. 500 years, Jewish people have a temple again. The time of Christ, Herod the Great. He helps actually the Jewish people. He was a half Jew. He, ha he helps them build the temple. Here it is. Now they've got this great temple. Jesus comes on the scene, this great temple. 70 years, the Jewish people have the temple. 70 AD, the Romans come in. Doom, destroy the temple in Jerusalem. So now we're in a phase where there's not been a third temple built. Do you know you can go online and Google the third temple in Jerusalem and they have actual plans of what they're planning to build for the third temple? Go online. You can Google it. Not while I'm preaching. God will show me. <laughs> Do you know that there's young little Jewish kids being trained as priests to start sacrifices in the third temple today? This is, all in the, this is all in his, I've been to Israel bunches of times. I've been to the Temple Institute. You can go see the plans. They've got a third temple. Why is it important that a third temple is built? I know a third temple is going to have to be built because the Antichrist goes and declares himself God in the third temple. Hey, by the way, how is that going to happen? Pastor, you ever been to Jerusalem? I've been there a bunch. And there's like this gold dome thing. Is that Jews, Christians? Who owns that? It's it's, it's Muslims. That's the Dome of the Rock. But then they've got Jews that are praying outside. How are the Jews and the, and, and the Muslims and how is this all going to work? How is the third temple going to be there? Antichrist is going to cut the deal. He's a broker of deals and peace, and he's going to bring peace. And so it's going to be like, so, so what he's going to do is he's going to cut a deal with them, and there's going to be an agreement where they allow the Jewish people to build this third temple. I know that's got to happen because this has to happen right here. Now, why is this important? This is important because we live in a day and an age. By the way, I'll just say this about Israel. Two things more about Israel. I'll give you the last thing. We'll close. Watch this. Stay with me. Pastor, is Israel, some of y'all ask me this question. Is Israel, should we be looking at Israel to discern anything? Yes. It is, I believe it's the prophetic timepiece of God. I look to the scripture, but Israel. Interestingly enough, Google this after church. 1882, by the way, in the Bible, the Bible talks about two regatherings of Jewish people to the land that God gave them. Two. One happened after the first temple was destroyed. 
actually after the, 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 the after uh, the Babylonian Empire destroyed the temple, all right, that first temple, and there was a regathering after 70 years. But the Bible talks about a second regathering. When is the regathering happening? Even as we speak. Do you know in 1882, there was 24,000 Jews in Israel? You know how many Jewish people are in Israel today? 6.5 million. They're coming from Russia, from Germany. They're coming from South America. They're cut, they came from, it's, it's called an aliyah. There's Jewish people that have just streamed into Israel. Second thing the Bible talks about. In the end, the nations of the earth turn against Israel. Isn't it interesting? What's the deal? This little nation, by the way, they don't even, they don't even occupy the whole thing. And yet you've got the 1967 war, 1973 Yom Kippur war. They try to destroy this, and you can't, you can't destroy them. Something about Jerusalem. Why is that? Because a lot happens here. A lot happens here. All right, pastor, I'm freaked out. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> okay, thank you. Give me two minutes, and you're going to beat the Baptist to Piccadilly, all right? Just, just stay with me. <laughs> just stay with me, all right? I love the Baptist. All right, here we go. What do I do? What do I do? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. What do I do, pastor? We're bound to give thanks, Paul says, to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Let me give you three things real close. Number one, what do I do to equip myself? Again, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I do not know. I know I'm ready if he comes today. I'm planning it could be 100 years but I'm ready today. But here's what I need to do. Number one, Paul talks about living the truth. Everybody say living the truth. 4.4 Bibles in the American home. My question is, is one of those 4.4 in our hearts? Does that make sense? How will you know if people are deceived? How will you know if you're deceived if you don't know the truth? You know how they do with people who learn counterfeit money? People that deal with counterfeit. By the way, have somebody in the church. So I don't even know what the job title is. They told me, came up after I preached this about two years ago, pastor, that's my job. And all they do, first eight weeks, is deal with real money. How do you know counterfeit money unless you know real money? Unless you know the truth, you won't discern a lie. Does that make sense? You've got to know the truth. You personally have to have a devotional life, spending time in the Word of God on a daily basis. Number two, the Paul talks about being sanctified by the Spirit. We need a fresh baptism with the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God in our lives. Number one, we need to live in the truth. Number two, we need to be filled. Everybody say filled with the Spirit. Number three, we need to live in community. What does that mean? Not where we all sell our homes. We go live in Montana and eat MREs left over from Hurricane Katrina. I'm not talking about that. We need to be in relationship with other believers. Are you with? Let me tell you when you need people, when you need them. Don't keep Christians at arm length. Then you go through cancer and you're like, nobody's there to pray for me. Nobody knew. That's why you need to be in a small group. That's why we push relationships. Live in the truth. Be filled with the Spirit. Be in community. What does that mean? Go to a small group, before work, after work, whenever you can get in a group. Let people pray for you. Stand with you in faith. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Again, I know this is a different message, but, but I hope it's helped. Has this helped anybody? Come on. Has it helped anybody? I'll give you this last thing. Pull it up. Stand. Paul says this. Here it is. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Everybody say, stand fast. So what do we do? I'm standing in the Word. I'm asking God to fill me with the Spirit. I'm in relationship with other brothers in the Lord. Pray for me. Let's just pray right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Lord, you love us. 
God, you care about us. Regardless of what happens in the culture, regardless of what happens in the economy, regardless of what happens in geopolitical things around the world, or, we're going to be strong in God. We're filled with faith. We're not filled with fear. We're filled with the Spirit, the power of Almighty God. If you do not know Christ, if you're not sure about your relationship with Jesus, our altar is going to be open for anybody that needs the Lord. Maybe you need prayer about something. Whatever it is, we're here for you. Let me just pray a blessing over you. Father, I pray the blessing of God over your people. I thank you for the grace of God over their lives. Lord, give us a fresh passion for your word and to be filled with your spirit. And Lord, we don't preach judgment. We preach grace. But we know a judgment's coming. Lord, we want to be busy about seeing our loved ones saved. Busy about seeing our coworkers saved. Busy about seeing all the people that we know saved because it's a day of grace. Lord, we love you. We honor you. I bless your people as they go forth this day. In the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, come on, can we give the Lord a hand clap? Can we bless him? We love you guys. God bless you. I'll see you next week.